we have our Christmas series coming up. We have one more week here. We're in the Book of Romans. We'll have today and next next week, and then um, we'll be spending four or five weeks around Christmas and in the new year uh, going through a series we're doing. We're calling Born Unto Us, and actually what it is, we're going to look at different births in the Bible and different nativities uh, and see how they actually point us to Jesus, uh, the greatest, the the most wonderful birth that we celebrate at Christmas. But actually throughout the Old Testament, even maybe some in the New, um, we see births happen and those births uh, really point us to give us kind of a hint or a shadow, uh, remind us of one that that is even greater uh, in Jesus. So I'm excited for that, to see some stories maybe we haven't always connected to Christmas that we're going to get to go through um, and get to sing a lot more songs. We've got to get those songs in while we can. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Excited for you guys to be here um, and even hopefully participate in all the fun things we have going on together. Um, I, this might be kind of cheating. Kelly sort of said it. My The thing I like least about the Christmas season, and I already am feeling it as... Um, like holidays, like feel like they kind of officially started. I heard multiple people say they opened, um, not opened, they placed gifts already under the tree. They already put their tree up. There's Christmas lights up, um, hearing music all over the place this weekend. Uh, I already have the feeling of how I'm kind of let down at the end of the Christmas season. So my least favorite part of the Christmas season is the end of the Christmas season, which I don't know if that counts, but I kind of feel sad. I picked this because it's cute and sad. I kind of feel like this at the end of the Christmas season. I go like, oh, all this excitement, all this fun. I, I also often just feel tired. There's just so much going on. There's sort of this holiday letdown. And actually, I looked it up. I was reading about, about this. And there's actually, there's actually uh, like terms for this. Counselors might call it the post-holiday letdown. It's similar. It's in the same family as the post-vacation letdown uh, <laughs> sadness. Uh, I found someone who had wrote about this. They wrote tips on how to, how to fight this. And they said, have you ever felt sad or empty after the Christmas season? Disinterested in activities that aren't about eating food or hanging out with family? Have you had changes in your appetite, trouble sleeping, lack of energy, fearing, ir- feeling irritable? I feel that during Christmas sometimes, but maybe after as well. <laughs> trouble concentrating? Have you ever had body aches or headaches after Christmas or a deep, deep sadness or an increased desire to not go to work? That might be an everyday thing for some. Uh, Maybe that's not the, uh, they said, then you might have post-holiday letdown. Uh, and then they had tips, which one of the tips was to go half-time back to work, spend some of your vacation, and only go part-time for a few weeks. I thought, what a wild, uh, like, privileged place. <laughs> You're like, oh, I just have tons of vacation. I'll half go to work. Um, interesting, though, and I think maybe you felt this, this feeling of uh, all the excitement. I think Christmas promises a sort of a feeling of that, of a... Uh, of like, gosh, this is, it's, it feels good. It feels warm and, and magical kind of, and you're receiving gifts and you're buying gifts. It satisfies a lot of what our like deep loves are, but it does kind of have a letdown in the sense of like, uh, at least for me, it feels like, oh, I kind of hoped it was more. I don't know. Or, or now I have to go back to regular life uh, after all this. I had a roommate uh, years ago and um, we lived in a little apartment together. And one morning... Uh, I woke up to him and he was like groaning in the other room. So I came out of my bedroom and I could hear him groaning in our living room. Like I thought he was hurt. Um, and so I, are you okay, man? And he's like, Ugh. so I hustled in the living room thinking, I don't know what's happening to my roommate. He usually is not doing this. And he was laying on the couch in his Sam's club uniform. And he was going, Oh, I have to go to work. <laughs> 
because he had just had a whole week off for Christmas. And he was just going, I wish Christmas lasted forever. And I thought, I, I feel it. I still think that at that time, I think, oh, man, I remember him laying in that uniform going, I now have to go back to the real world. This is not a new thing, right? In fact, there's a whole bunch of Peanuts comics about the post-Christmas letdown, right? Like this one. There's nothing worse than the post-Christmas letdown. A deep depression sets in. Your bones ache. You feel tired all over. It's like they just diagnosed, like what we just read. If anyone mentions partridge in a pear tree, I want to scream. Of course, Charlie Brown says it. Ah! And today... We are looking at this field. Now we're going to anticipate, right? We're at the beginning of the season. I thought instead of waiting to the end of the season, what if we started thinking about how do we get through a Christmas season so at the end of the season we don't just have to lay and groan with our Sam's Club uniform on wishing life was different. This groan is actually a, a word we see throughout Scripture. It's a word, it's a great word because it describes like a deep, like guttural pain. It's more than just uh like, ugh, this stinks, or a, ugh, ah, or a sigh. It's a deep, painful, looking ahead, almost a hopeless outlook, as well as a current kind of pain that we're in. And so today we're going to look at what, is it, what does it look like to live in the groan. And actually our passage in Romans talks a lot about this groaning. And so today we're going to see what does it look like to live within the groan in the spirit. So we are in a book of the Romans. I'm excited here. We're in the book of um, the chapter 8 of Romans. So if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to open that up or open your phone. Otherwise, the passages will be on the screen. Uh, and we're in a uh, second part of it where we're looking at what does it look like to live now as we've understood the gospel. What we mean by that is this good news that we are, we are people who have turned from God. We call that sin. We've turned away from what he has for us, the life he has, and in fact, our worship to other things that don't fully fulfill fill us. It's where we feel this groan. And then we've turned to other things, and he actually has come to rescue us from the penalty we have that is death and that. And so now what does it look like to be rescued people, people who are deeply loved, who actually are satisfied in, in what God has made us? And so what does that look like? We have lots of resources on our app, our website. Um, we have actually journals, uh, Romans journals out there too. I think we still might have some. Um, but we're going to jump right into this. We're going to jump into last week's passage. So we have learned about this wrath that is coming from God because of our sin, and that he doesn't leave us in that. In fact, he loves us so dearly, he would send Christ to pay for that, to step in the way, so we didn't have to pay that penalty. And then how good that is for all people, and then what does it look like to live in that, and, he, and what does it look like to live in the Spirit? So God has left his Spirit. He's still with us. In fact, he comes in, in us, and what does it look like to be people who live now in God's Spirit, in the way God's called us? And so as we've been looking through Romans, we've now towards the end of eight, and this is last week, which I think helps to frame what we're about to talk about as we look at what does it look like to people who live in this groaning world and, and what do we do with it? So this is just last week. For all who have, uh, are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We were once, uh, as Scripture calls us, slaves to sin really entangled in this sin. We, we didn't have a position other than like we were just used by sin and it eventually brought death. And now God has actually adopted us, not just left us, but called us his children. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're people who are, can cry out to our God, Abba, Father, and he can hold us and he can say, 
I got you, I'm with you. And we do that because of the work of Christ uh, as we are heirs with him. And this verse ends and actually is kind of a transition into the next part that we're going to look at a lot today. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. It recognizes that we still are suffering though. That he's rescued us, but I'm still kind of in this place of suffering. And it says you're going to suffer with Christ. It's actually part of being the family is we're in this broken suffering place, but also will be glorified, which is the term that we use for like fully made whole one day. Everything will be made right. We hear in the book of Revelation, there's no more tears or sadness. And so we have this picture of us running to our dad and dad holding us. It's going to be okay. I'm with you in this. And one day it will be okay. All right. So now we get into our passage for today. We're just going to walk through this together. Uh, and hopefully leave encouraged uh, that there is an opportunity to live in that groan, but not have that be everything. And maybe the Christmas letdown is not uh, what it needs to be if we live in it. So we're going to start right out the gate. So we just heard about this suffering that we get to share with Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us, is to be revealed to us. So right away, Paul, who wrote this, is a letter that he wrote to his friends at a church in Rome. Um, so we call it Romans. He's writing this letter to them to remind them that right now, the present moment, you're feeling suffering. Things feel broken. They feel wrong at times. And we have to remember that this moment doesn't even compare to the glory, to the future that we hold. This is interesting because it's actually a, a very common, if you talk to any person kind of throughout all of history, if you ask what's the problem in the world, suffering is often pretty high on that list, if not the highest. In fact, most religions, this is the core. If you ask like, why is it a religion? What's the problem? And what does this religion solve? Many of them suffering. And then this is the way to solve it, whether it's through meditation or becoming stronger or maybe finding a way to ignore or escape the suffering or maybe embracing the suffering right now. Whatever it is, is a way to what do we do with this? Because it's a thing we all feel, right? Um, probably a month ago, we shared a quick clip of, uh, of Tolkien sharing what all, kind of all stories are about. And he says they're all about death because we're all moving towards and suffering in this, this ultimate truth that we are suffering and feeling that around us. And what's really cool is that the gospel, what's in liberating is the gospel tells us a different story, that suffering isn't something we have to figure out how to handle. It's a moment we're in that's not even close to the end. In fact, Paul here says it's not even comparable. It's not even like worth saying, okay, the pros and cons of suffering and glory, they're so different. I think I, this is where I, I feel suffering become very big. So look at this, this picture. This makes me think of this is a picture of like how big the sun is compared to the earth. And then like how big you are is probably like right in here. Like one, there's little dots here. You can't see them, but I can see them. You're like inside one of those dots, very small, right? And I think I flipped these in my life. So I might say, the glory that's to come to us, God one day coming and making all things right, this, this amazing future and hope I have to look forward to, it's so big, it's not even worth comparing to this moment I'm in. Because I can look to that and I, I often flip it because it's really hard not to. Because it's right in my face. And I feel brokenness, whether it's in my body or my heart or my head, relationally around me. It's so hard not to feel this is enormous and that maybe there's this thing way off that's tiny. And Paul here is trying to remind us, let us stop. There's a way we can actually get through the groaning of life because we can look to the, how grand and glorious this future is 
that we have. So he actually brings up something interesting. It wouldn't be what I would think to, to bring up, but he brings up a really great picture and reality that I think we don't always even think about. This is as here as we continue. What does the suffering look like? He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the, of the sons of God. He's not going to actually talk about creation around us. He's not talking about people, but creation, even like the things around us in the world. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. Okay, so what does this mean? It's saying creation itself, the world around us, also feels the effects of the fall. So way back when Adam and Eve, they decide to turn from God and they say, maybe we don't need God, that sin enters the world, this curse comes. And we actually see in Genesis 3, the curse comes not just to them, but it becomes relationally, there's a curse of brokenness. Within them is a relationship that's brokenness. Um, birth becomes a broken thing. And creation itself even, even animals, even the earth, plants, it all becomes broken. We see throughout Old Testament that it gives language to this. It gives language of like the creation singing in the songs we hear of mountains singing out to God. Even creation is worshiping him. And also creation is like broken. And there's, there's stories of creation opening up and like swallowing people. There's a real picture of brokenness. And so not only is this a great reminder to us that we feel the groans, the, the actual creation feels the groans. It can't wait either until a day. It, everything is waiting for the day when things will be made right. It, uh, this is such a helpful picture because it gives us uh, a picture that, it, that God's going to redeem all things. It also helps us maybe dispel an image of like heaven is like a, a place with like clouds and we all like are like ethereal wavelengths and we're like just sitting in a cloud. Because I, I know from in my life, in my story, that did not sound appealing. As a kid, I remember people saying, well, someday you can just float around with God somewhere. And I was like, but I like trucks and stuff. Can I play with trucks? Still, the, the things we enjoy around us, and have it, they're all going to come together and God's going to renew them all, we see in Revelation. So it gives this great picture of God's going to create this incredible, whatever a perfect, beautiful version of what we have is, which I'm sure is far beyond compare, right? We just heard that. And so we hear now there's a groaning, not just from us, but of the things around us. Even if you think just on your drive home, over the Christmas season, if you drive as you maybe go see family or travel, you're going to see beautiful things and think that's just like a hint of how glorious creation could be. That's, that's incredible. I mean, what a beautiful, it's, it's incomparable. It's looking forward just as we are looking forward to this day in the midst of our suffering and our groaning. It says that that exact groaning, it talks about it here in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, children, the redemption of our bodies. So it's saying we wait with groans. This word groan actually is, is, is a word that's used in old, uh, old Greek literature. It'd be used like if they're describing what a bat would sound like on a battlefield after a battle. If you could imagine like the groaning of soldiers who have fallen or maybe even laying in pain, dying, or the groans of seeing even others in pain and dying. It's the same word that's used when we describe childbirth. 
the, the pain of that, this, the suffering, not just the moment of childbirth, but the suffering that happens leading up to that. Uh, that's why it's used here, this, this great image of like all the pain as you prepare, but knowing that there's this, this end that's incredible. This actually really incredible he used this because in the time he wrote this, childbirth, many mothers even didn't make it through childbirth. And so to say the groans of childbirth, the sacrificing of that, someone giving her life so that another life could come forth, that deep pain that's not just a physical pain, but like a deep emotional heart pain um, that we feel. And that groan is not just us, but all around us, all around us. I, I think of it when I think of like the trees are beautiful and they drop their leaves, but then I have like wet, now I have wet, gross leaves in my yard. And then if I don't get them all up, which I would love to think I will, but I won't. And snow will cover them. And then in the spring when it's beautiful and the flowers are blooming, there's like moldy leaves in my yard and I'm scooping them up and I'm like sneezing. And I'm like, I hate, you're not beautiful anymore, leaves. <laughs> you're dead and you smell like mold and my head hurts and my nose is running. Oh, this is like broken. Things are dying. And oh, okay. This is, this is a groan, almost a groan. I groan when I do that. Um, <laughs> So, right, we've, we, if you kind of start looking, you go, oh, there is like a, things are falling apart. I, t- today is my birthday. Thanks, Aaron, for yelling out. Um, and I, every year, feel a little more. I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm falling apart. <laughs> There's stuff my kids reminded me the other day that I have a bald spot, or I might eventually have a bald spot right here. <laughs> they love taking pictures of it when I'm not looking. Quick snap, and then sending me pictures. One of the joys of technology is that your kids can send you sneaky pictures of your bald spot. And I think, oh, that's never coming back. Like, I'm not, this isn't just a season for me. There won't be here, and it probably will spread. In fact, they asked uh, Grandpa this weekend, hey, Grandpa, when did you start getting your bald spot? He was very happy to talk about that. And he said, it just happens. We all start, our hair falls out, and we kind of fall apart. And I went, yeah. So this is so Paul's reminding us that we all are groaning, feeling this because I love this image. This, um, this is from like the biggest story. These are great images, uh, children's Bible. It's really an everybody Bible, but it's this image of this place we live in now. There's this broken creation that God has come to redeem. And we kind of live in this in-between where we start seeing glimpses of glory, but we, ha- we aren't there yet. And so we live in this place where we kind of groan. And almost, it almost at moments feels worse. It's not, but it, like, oh, if I, I didn't even, I don't even, it's hard to know it's going to be better. Like, I wish I was just there. I almost wish I lived in the dark on that, but I don't. Because how glorious it would be and how hard it would be to be in this and not know there's something glorious and wonderful to come. And so Paul's saying, hey, it's, we do live in this. You're groaning. You're feeling the pains. But just like childbirth, we know there's a, a thing to look forward to, a hope that is our future. And that's what he gets to next. For this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For we, for who hopes for what is he sees? He's saying, hey, there's a thing that we don't see right now, the present moment. You live in the groaning and the brokenness. There's something we don't see, but it's coming. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He said this, this moment of groaning this, seem, this seem, uh, seemingly horrible, let-down feeling is like that. C.S. Lewis says this great in, the, in Mere Christianity. 
God will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into a God or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating uh, all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, right? He doesn't actually think we become God. His own boundless power and delight and goodness. He's going to make us these incredible things and make creation this incredible thing. It's like beyond beyond what we can imagine. But even what we could imagine is pretty spectacular. What life without tears or pain or sorrow would look like. Tears without any desires that are unmet. Like my, my truest heart uh, in God would be fulfilled. The process will be long and in parts very painful. But as what we are, we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. This is what we have, the hope we have, right, is this place. Otherwise, we live in a place we go, this is it. And I got to work really hard to try to make this as good as I can now because it feels like this is it. And then as I grow older and I see more pain around me, I think I just can't catch up. It feels like my wheels are spinning. I cannot make this better because it, it isn't better. There's a glorious end that is incredible and beautiful. I love it with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that we cannot now imagine. It's beautiful. So Paul goes on. He, he encourages us. We all live in this grown, this pain, this suffering, and there is something coming. There's a hope, a place we can look to in the midst of this hurting. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. So now we were groaning and now uses the same word, the Spirit of God, actually, when we don't know what to pray for or how to pray or how to even commune or connect with God, our Father here, this Abba Father we can come to. We, we don't, the Spirit actually is one of the cool gifts that we don't have to know. The Spirit with groanings too deep for words actually responds for us. And he who searches hearts knows what is uh, the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. So the Spirit of God itself actually intercedes for what we really need. This is, an, this is incredible. This is a, for me, I think sometimes the reason I don't approach God, the reason I don't want to get close or even talk is I think like I haven't done enough stuff, so he wants to talk to me. I don't see him as a father who wants to embrace me and hold me and protect me and has cared for me. And I also don't see that I've got it together enough that I can articulate a presentation so he'll know what I need. Uh, I think of it as... Um, I say silly prayers. Tim Keller says, uh, he says, a lot of our prayers are kind of stupid. Uh, and what's really sweet is God, the Spirit, actually interprets them properly, even in our silly, stupid prayers. <laughs> Not that you shouldn't pray. Tim Keller is like a, you know, he's passed away. He's a well-educated, very smart guy. And I love he uses the word stupid. It feels like a kid word. But our prayers are like a lot more like kid prayers. This is still in the section where he's talking about we're uh, children of God. He's that God has come and made us his children, adopted us, brought us in, allows us to call him Abba Father, draw near to him. And then he's explaining this is all still in that same part where he's kind of explaining now what it looks like to be a kid who comes up. I did look for kid prayers. Man, there are some great ones. I'll share a few here. These are the kind of prayers kids say, right? Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> That's sad. She wanted a brother. Yeah. 
Well, I had a puppy, but I guess I got a brother. Those are different things. Dear God, did you mean for a draft to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> that seems like, that's actually a great question. I'd love to know someday how that worked out. Not assuming it's not an accident. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get uh, big, but not with so much hair all over. Oh, that's sad and very real, very true. Other ones uh, that I found uh, parents share online, please forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll, and please don't tell her where it is. (laughs) Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to have to ask my mom to move out. What a sweet bird. Dear God, can you give me a smartphone? I think Santa forgot. Thank you. That was the last of the prayers. I, right? I think, oh, that's cute. That's funny. That, I think I don't, I don't come to the Father and ask him to hold me because I think I don't have enough prayer. And Scripture is so sweet, says, hey, you're, remember you're a child of God. You don't even need to know. He knows when you just go, oh. Uh, he knows exactly what your heart in that moment desires. He's a father. Have you had this happen? I've, I've run into my mom's arms. I remember in high school coming home and my mom saying, how was your day? And I just went, oh, and I dropped some bags. And I marched up to my room and then she knew exactly. She came up and gave a mom hug, which is what you need, and gave me something to drink, some hot cocoa. And she sat there with me. I didn't say anything. I just went, oh, and drop my stuff. And that she could interpret all of the things that I needed in that moment. I think if you're a parent or if, if you've been around a baby crying, babies have different cries even. You know what your kid needs even just from the way they cry or, or groan. This is what we're being reminded here, that we have a father who in the midst of our groaning and our pain, we could say, oh, this is so hard. And he says, come, come close. He knows what I mean. And when I pray for things that I really, uh, I don't know how to pray, or even if I'm praying for the right thing, he still interprets them right. Have you ever heard the story of someone praying that somebody would date them, and then later saying, thank God he didn't give me that person, <laughs> right? Maybe you've experienced that. It's because he knew deep, he knew when you said, I, Lord, I really want this person to like me so they would date me and I could marry them. He knew what, what you really needed, right? He knew you deep down, you were like, I really want a person to care for. Or I really want to be loved. I really want someone who will say, I'm committed to you and I'm not going anywhere. And then he gives you that, that gift even better and bigger than you could have gotten in that person, in, in himself. Or maybe you're someone who you prayed for money. And, and in that prayer, he knows actually deep in your heart, he knows that your prayer is that you just need security. You're scared of what's going to happen and if you'll be okay. And he still gives that to you, maybe not in form of money. Maybe you pray just for something to not be out of control and in that he knows that you deeply desire for control and he doesn't give you exactly, but he knows what it looks like to give you so you know that he is in control and he's got it. So we have this opportunity to have a God who holds us it allows us to say, Abba, Father. In fact, the word, the word Abba is like a fairly universal, like across time and languages, because the, the sound Abba or Papa or Ama or uh, Opa, all those words are some of the first ways like babies move their mouths and make noises. And so universally, a lot of languages have the word Papa, Abba, 
because it's one of the first things kids say. It's actually a word that describes like our first mumblings that don't make sense, but our parents still know us. So what a way, right? We get to say, Abba, Father. We get to groan to our parents. And he says, I love you. I'm with you. And I understand. I get it. I get it. And then he gives us exactly what we need more than we ever could imagine in that midst of this groaning and in a future that we can't, is, is unheard of, that he gives us through, through Christ. And so then Paul, after this, reminds us we can come to our Father, we can, we can groan with all of creation and say this isn't right, something's broken, and we can know that God has given us a future. And we can know that in all of that, that those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. So this is a verse maybe you've heard before. This is a, a pretty uh, classic verse to have memorized or maybe on a wall or maybe someone has spoke this to you even in the midst of suffering. Um, maybe that was helpful or not helpful in the midst of suffering. What this does tell us, though, is that suffering is not wasted. That we have a God that even in like the worst broken place, God can still work good things in that. This, this doesn't mean that when, when a friend says, Hey, I'm having a really tough day. You just say, hey, don't forget uh, Romans 8.28. Let's celebrate your suffering because God will work it out. Suffering is still a sign of brokenness, of sin, of evil. But we can have the assurance, hey, that's really hard. Thank God in the, in the end, God knows how to use that and is with you in that. And we're not made for that. Suffering is an opportunity for us to be reminded that we're not made for this. It's uh, when you're at a funeral and, and death feels so, so right in your face, it can be an opportunity to be really distraught and hopeless or be reminded that death isn't the end, that we weren't made for this, That's, that this suffering and this brokenness isn't all we have and that we have a future. It reminds us that there is a, a source of life and a future. And so, even the midst of our suffering, as we understand these things, we, we know that God uh, still works these things for good things. And then the passage ends with it, kind of an introduction to the next part we're going to look at after the Christmas season uh, in Romans 9. But it, it reminds us that God has always been around. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul here uses a bunch of words, right? Some of these feel very churchy words. Ultimately, here's what he's saying. He's telling us that God has always been and always will be. That God has always, always been around. He always knew who you were and what you were going to do. And he always had a plan to rescue us. He knew us before we knew that we were anything. He created us. He's the one who calls us. He says, I want you, come to me, come. As a son or daughter into adoption, justifying just means he's made us right. He's the one who, who says, I, Christ has died and now his payment is your payment so that you will not have to die, but you will have life. He's, he's rescued us. You might see the church, he saved us and that one day he will glorify us. From the, from the beginning to the end, from before we existed till eternity, he's always been there and always will be and has a plan. And he's going to work things out. Paul wants us to remember, in the midst of our suffering, 
God has been and will be, and he's still right here with us. That's, that's helpful. That's really comforting to know. It's still painful. I still groan. But I groan with anticipation, with hope. These are the words we hear in O Holy Night, actually. Uh, the the uh, sweet Christmas song. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world celebrating the Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error, right? A groaning, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angels sing, O night divine. This, this celebration at Christmas is not just because it's fun to get presents, because it's a fun time to hang out with people, right? We get this reminder that we have a hope, a thrill of hope, as a weary world rejoices. You almost could say, as the groaning world rejoices, a thrill of hope comes. Here's what's really good. This passage reminded us uh, that, that in the midst of that, we can, do, we can groan and have hope. And why is that? Well, as I end here, we just want to remind ourselves why that's even possible. It's because of, of the Son who made this possible, and he himself understands exactly what it looks like to groan. In the story uh, in um, Mark, I think, 7, Jesus comes up to a, a deaf man who is unable to speak, and he says he actually holds him, and then he sighs, but in the passage is actually the same word that we hear here in Romans. It actually says he groans a, a, a painful groan. He holds the man and groans, and then he heals the man. And then the man proclaims the glory of God. What an image, right? Like in that one moment, Jesus holds broken creation and a person and then heals them. And they, in the moment, get to go from not hearing or speaking, feeling the brokenness to a person who now feels the glory and just a hint of it, not even knowing that one day it will be better. In the same way, right after that happens, Jesus meets with a whole crowd of people who need to be fed and he miraculously feeds all of them. You may know these stories. Incredible, right? He produces food and feeds them. People who are groaning with hunger and now are rejoicing because they're full. What a picture of what God does, right? Of, of groaning people who are hungry and one day will be full, fed, more than we can even eat. And then right after that, this happens, right? He heals this man, he feeds these people. And right after that, Religious leaders and people come up to Jesus and they say, hey, show us a sign of who you are and what you can do. They say, can you show us like what's, what it's going to be like? It's so hard. You see that? I, I would do the same, I bet. But in the moment you're like, did you just see he just fed people? He just healed the guy who couldn't hear and talk. And he said, oh, he's healed the blind person. He brought people back from the dead. You see all these things he did. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show us what it's like, like who you are. Like I'm showing you, I'm the one who brings people from groaning to hopeful, cheering, and glorifying. And in that, they say, show us. And his response is, we don't always get this in Scripture, but in the Gospel of Mark, he says, he sighed deeply in his spirit. Very broken people saying, tell us how we can fix this, this brokenness. And then he says, it says sigh deeply, it's the same word. He groans a groan, a deep, painful, 
sigh that feels the pain of death, of death around them. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to me. He, he walks away. He says, you, you miss, you're missing it. In your groaning, you're trying to find a way out and I'm giving you a way out. I am the way out. And again, we hear Jesus groan. And this time we hear him groan on the cross as he feels and experiences all of the pain and all of the suffering that we are due. Can you imagine like the, the groan I give because I have to go to work? I feel the pain of brokenness. And then the groan that he gives when he feels all the weight of all of us on a cross, he says, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to suffer deeply so that you one day will not have to. There's a moment in Matthew 27, as he's on the cross, it says, Now from the sixth hour there is darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour he cried out with a loud voice. Guess this is a word that cried out works, but kind of a loud groaning cry. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries out again a few verses later, and then he gives up his spirit. He groans, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't just uh, Jesus saying this, is actually quoting the start of a psalm. Uh, in scripture, sometimes we get that moment where he starts a psalm. Uh, it's almost like you're playing a song. <clears throat> he starts it knowing like you might know the rest of the words of this. It's actually saying a whole lot more than just those words. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22, which starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the next thing it says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Same word that we hear Paul use. God, where are you? Jesus is on a cross feeling all of our pain, of all of our suffering, of, of all of the brokenness of the world. Paying that for us so that it could be restored one day. So that we could be rescued. He cries out, do you not hear my groaning, God? Almost like a kid, right? Do you not hear me? It's, where are you? A kid almost like in the other room yelling, Dad, Mom, I need you. Usually it's not a big deal. But in this moment, right, he's screaming with his pain, groaning. The psalm continues. It, it, it describes so well this groan that we can feel. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel and your father's uh, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. He starts turning the corner. God, I, where are you? In the groans and then remembering, oh, you have been here. You've always been and you aren't leaving. And Psalm 22 then actually ends with this. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. It starts with, where have you been? I'm groaning. Do you not hear me? All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Those who cannot, that's all of us. Who can't keep yourself alive? All of us. We cannot defeat death. We haven't figured that out. All of us will go to him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. For, for he always has been and always will be. We will tell them about the Lord. Who's the one? They will proclaim his righteousness. 
declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. I love that. I love that Jesus is on a cross and he like hits play on a track that says, my God, my God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? Jesus then dies on that cross. He's put in a tomb, almost as if we get to like a slow reading of this psalm. And then the sun goes down, the sun comes up and there's just quiet and we hear, where are you? I'm groaning, where are you? And then the sun comes up and the tomb is empty. And we get to say, he's done it. Oh, he's done it. What an incredible day. Well, the same thing happens as Jesus goes on the cross. He dies, he yields up his spirit. And even before he's in the tomb, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. We now have access to God. The earth shakes. This creation grumbles and shakes. The rocks split. The tombs are open and many people, bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. There's resurrection all over the place and coming out of tombs. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake. That's like earth, that's like creation groaning and grumbling and then crying out. And they took uh, what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. He's done it. This is why today in my present suffering, in my present groaning, I can look to a future because God has done it and he has made a way so that I do not sit forever here in darkness, but one day will be in glorious light. That the groanings of Jesus will end our groaning. That's really, really, really good news. Um, and so as we get to celebrate, we, we open presents and we, we sing songs and we gather around nativities we, we remember a day Jesus came, not because a cute baby came, but because the one who's defeated death and sin and given us a glorious future is, has come, and he has done it. I'm going to invite our worship team up. They're going to help us celebrate that and sing that together. It's one of the things we love to do here on uh, Sunday mornings is we gather not just to hang out, but we gather to be reminded of this good news that he's done it and uh, celebrate that together. One of the ways is through singing. There's a few ways we can respond today. We can sing together. I love it. I'm so excited to do that today. We can take communion. Communion's an opportunity that Jesus has called us to. He says, hey, get together and break bread and drink wine and remember that my body was broken. Remember that I groaned so that you one day would not have to. Remember that my blood was shed to pay the price for your sin. And we do that in the hallway. We have tables out there with grape juice and crackers. We love for you to do that. We encourage you to uh, we ask you to be a follower of Jesus so that's meaningful to you. Um, you can do that in the hallway at any point during our three songs. Also, there's people who are in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. So if you just need someone to pray to, and you could, you could just groan to them, and they would pray for you. I promise you that. You could go, I don't even know. And they would love to pray for you. The Spirit would love to pray with you in that. You can also give always in, as a response to the gospel and help continue our ministry, uh, support the ministry here. Um, a few things to consider as we move into a time of response. Do you know that he's done it? Maybe today's the day to say, I didn't, I didn't even, I don't think I understood this. Today's the day you could say, yes, I believe it. I want to be your child. I want to follow you. Maybe you consider what makes you groan and what hope you think solves it. What do you have hope in that maybe is letting you down? Uh, or just confess what makes you groan right now. Um, ask the question who suffers with you or do you allow others to suffer with you? Some of the cool things is God has invited us to a family that we get to groan together. 
and care for each other in that and remind each other of the glory that is to come. And, uh, and consider right now this week or maybe this season, who needs to know that he's done it? That how, how often, just today, will you talk to someone and they might not groan, but their words express groaning? And what good news you carry with you that he's done it. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll uh, worship together. Lord, uh, you have done it. You put an end to death and sin. And right now I don't always feel that, but I know one day, Lord, you are going to make us glorious. You're going to make all things right. And even in my present moment of suffering and groaning, I can celebrate that good, good news. That I can move forward in that knowing that you're with me, you're holding me, and even if I don't know what to say, you got me. Lord, thank you for being a good father our Abba Father, who loves us dearly. And I pray as we sing to you, we would sing uh, as if we're singing, or in reality, we're singing to our parents who loves us deeply. I pray that that would happen now as we look to you. Thank you for Jesus who made this all possible. Amen.